In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. It was a joy to see all of you yesterday for our Holy Feast of the Immaculate Conception. And this year, as it fell on the Saturday before the second Sunday of Advent, I find that we are given a particular reminder about the importance of this feast and why the Church has placed it at this time of the year. Of course, we understand it to be nine months before the Feast of the Nativity of Our Lady on September 8th. However, there is another reason for this. In fact, we should consider that the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, as we celebrate it today, dates back to the time of Blessed Pius IX in the mid-19th century. After he proclaimed the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, he also promulgated a new feast in divine office for December 8th. And this was originally a feast celebrated for eight days, the Feast of Octave. It was only during the 1950s that this octave was done away with. Up until that time, we would celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception for eight full days during this season of Advent. Today would nevertheless be the second Sunday of Advent, but we would make commemoration of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception, and then all three days during the week it is the Feast Day Mass of the Immaculate Conception, which would be celebrated. If we consider then this Sunday not only as the second Sunday of Advent, but also as the Sunday within the octave of the Immaculate Conception, we find that nothing could be more fitting for the prayer of today's Mass is, stir up our hearts, O Lord, to prepare the way of thine only begotten Son. This way of the Lord is what we have been hearing John the Baptist preaching ever since the first day of Advent. The voice of one crying in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths of our God. Many years ago, one of you asked a question, very beautifully phrased, about today's Gospel. I've answered it before, but it always bears repeating. One of you asked, how is it that John, who knew Christ from the womb, could not know him now from prison? How could he put this question to him? Art thou he that is to come, or look we for another? How could John possibly have any doubt on this subject? The answer given by the fathers is one very easy, that certainly John had no doubt about the identity of Christ, nor did he give in at this moment to discouragement on that subject or any frustration. We cannot say the same of John's disciples. John the Baptist's disciples were impatient and indeed were looking 
for a political leader to come, a purely political or even military messiah. They indeed had doubts about whether this Jesus of Nazareth was truly the promised one. And that is why his cousin, St. John, rather than trying to assuage their fears, knowing that he himself could offer no further words to convince them of this truth, simply from prison, sent them to Christ, saying, Go and ask him yourself, and see what answer you receive. For indeed, this last of the prophets, who is greater than a prophet, this voice of one crying in the wilderness, did indeed know our Lord from the womb. And of course, then, he still knows him from prison. We should be mindful, though, of one small detail when we look back to that beautiful gospel of the visitation. For what we hear there specifically from St. Elizabeth is not that John recognized our Lord, for of course our Lord did not speak to him at that moment of the womb. No, we are told that he knew that Christ was there because of the voice of Mary. Today, St. Paul speaks to us of the virtue of hope, telling us that it is founded on the patience, on the long-suffering and perseverance that we practice at this time, and on the comfort that we receive from the Scriptures. Because all these things that were written beforehand were written for our instruction, that through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, we might have hope. At the close of today's epistle, he quotes the opening chapters of the prophet Isaiah. St. Jerome, speaking on the scriptures of this Sunday so many centuries ago, explained to us that we must read these first chapters of Isaiah, the first twelve chapters to be precise, we must read them together as a whole, as one long and continuous prophecy of Christ. And the portion of it that St. Paul quotes for us today is from the close of this long prophecy when he says that there shall be a root of Jesse and he that shall rise up to rule the Gentiles and him shall the Gentiles hope. Only a few verses before we have that passage which is most beautiful in the Holy Latin Virgin, which St. Jerome explains for us. Virgo de Radice Jesse, a rod shall spring forth from this root of Jesse, and a flower from this stalk, from this shoot. St. Jerome, though speaking very briefly on this passage, provides for us one of the earliest testimonies 
to the Church's faith in the Immaculate Conception. For he explains that this virgam, this rod, which amazingly in Latin is the same root as the word virgo, which means virgin, he explains that this virga, this rod, to spring from the root of Jesse, must be understood as referring not directly to Christ, but first of all to his Holy Mother Mary, explaining that this is the pure and clean, straight rod from which this flower shall bud forth. Flower, in the Hebrew, being related to the word Nazareth. The reason why this passage is quoted then, especially on this second Sunday of Advent, and as we understand it as we continue, at least in spirit, to observe this holy feast of the Immaculate Conception, is that Mary herself is this Immaculate Way prepared for the Lord. The Holy Mother Church stirs up our hearts on this stir-up Sunday by reminding us of this feast we have just celebrated. Mary is the way prepared for the Lord, the way of his entry into this world in the flesh. And this way of the Lord, as St. Jerome explained to us so long ago, could not be a way that was first crooked and then made straight. The dignity of the one who was to come insisted that this way must be straight from the first, at all times and at all moments, holy and immaculate. It is through then Holy Mary that flow to us all the graces of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we have heard throughout this novena. This is why Holy Mother Church dared to proclaim with divine faith that the graces we read of in the prophecy of Christ, this prophecy that gives us comfort above all others, that all the gifts of the Holy Ghost we hear of in the 11th chapter of Isaiah, which speak first of all of Christ himself. For St. Jerome tells us that, yes, these gifts of the Holy Ghost refer first of all to Christ, for in him alone dwells the fullness of the divinity bodily, as St. Paul tells us. Nevertheless, all those who are baptized into Christ, all those who, again, in this amazing prophecy of Isaiah, receive the grace of Christ through these seven channels, that is, through the seven sacraments, all such persons who are in Christ Jesus receive also the seven gifts of the Holy Ghost. For by the grace of Christ, for which we have hope, for which for so many countless generations all those before Christ hoped with burning desire, it is by this grace of Christ that we are made partakers of the divine nature. Through the immaculate heart of Mary, this straight rod, from which budded forth the flower that is the Savior, Isaiah concludes this wondrous prophecy 
with those beautiful words which we hear on the Feast of the Sacred Heart. Aurietis aquas in gaudio de fontibus salvatoris. You shall draw water forth in joy from the fountain of the Savior. By the Immaculate Heart of Mary, whose conception we have just celebrated, the Sacred Heart has come to us, this inexhaustible treasure of grace from which we draw forth with joy all graces necessary for salvation. This faith in the coming of the Sacred Heart through the Immaculate Heart of Mary is the foundation of all our hope and all our trust that we place in the coming joys of eternal life. Amen.